today we're going to talk about uh, New Year's and New Year's traditions and New Year's resolutions. I don't know what you have for New Year's uh, tradition. Some people bring in the New Year's in different ways. Uh, some people go to New York City. They want to watch the huge ball drop. Some people want to watch New York City on TV from the comfort of their home and then go to sleep two minutes later. Uh, other people try to stay up as late as they can into the night. Uh, some of my good friends, we went over to their house. It was a bit of a strange uh, tradition. We went over to celebrate New Year's there. And what they would do is they would uh, run outside and bang together pots and pans. So they'd, if the neighbors weren't up still, they would wake them up. Uh, I don't know what resolution or what traditions you have, uh, but today is the last day of 2023. And tomorrow is January 1st, 2024. A brand new year, full of hope, full of promise, maybe full of a little bit of... Uh, scary worries and intimidation. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you're going off to college. Maybe you're here still and you're no longer a freshman by the end of it. Uh, You don't know. But it's also a great time to make New Year's resolutions. You've finished 2023. You can evaluate where you are in life. Maybe you're you're doing well where you want to go or maybe you're struggling. You can evaluate where you want to go in life. Where do you want to be at this time again December 31st, 2024. Where do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? And and, and New Year's resolutions aren't something that just people in the church do. It's people all around the world do. Some are strange. I looked some up this week, and some people want to order every single drink on the Starbucks menu in 2024. Every one of them. Some people want to try to to, uh, adopt five cats or maybe break a random Guinness World Record. Get out the book, look through which one is actually attainable for me, and go out and do it. Or maybe you're just here and you're trying to wake up before 10 o'clock while over break this next year. Or you're trying to shower daily. Or I don't know. But the most common was they wanted to do fitness and health. Okay, This is by far the most common. People want to eat healthier. That's the New Year's resolutions. Maybe it's breakfast every day, or they want to cut out soda, or, or no late night food, or they want to work out more. Maybe go once a week, or three times a week, or five times a week, or maybe instead of how many times you go, you want to lose some of your extra weight, or maybe you want to put on some weight and grow in muscle. Some people, I'm sure nobody here, uh, maybe they want to quit smoking or vaping. Uh, some people have that uh, resolution. Less video games, some people say. I want to play less video games this year. And other people say, I want to play more video games this next year. But if you're like me, you also have some things you should work on in your life. Maybe you want to limit different amount of food you eat or, or coffee, or you want to stop procrastinating. But maybe you have spiritual resolutions. Maybe you've done these now or in the past. Maybe you want to spend time in prayer each day or to read the Bible every day or maybe even to read the Bible through in a year. Or maybe read just the New Testament through this next year. Or maybe you want to just stop doing that one sin that you just can't seem to kick and it keeps rearing itself and you just want to stop that. Or to be a better friend or to be a more faithful witness to your unsaved friends. And here is where I think you're probably expecting me to come in and say, this next year, you should go read your Bible. I think you should read your Bible. 
But I'm going to go at it a little different perspective this year. Not what you should do, but there's a deeper issue because the issue is that people don't actually succeed in these resolutions. Just what you should do isn't enough. You see, the statistics go, and I think it's similar for for spiritual resolutions of us, is that only 9% of people, or 9% of people drop off after one month. They make the resolution, I'm going to go to the gym, they buy the membership, they pay the 50 bucks, and they go for one month, and at the end of that one month, they're done. 31% of people drop off after two months. 53% of resolutions drop off after three months. 66 drop off after four months. 84% are done after eight months. And by the end of the year, December 31, 2024, 94% of 2023 New Year's resolutions are gone. They failed. Somewhere along the way, it didn't get. Only 6% managed to keep their resolutions long term. That means a fail rate is 94%. A fail rate is 94%. And maybe you've experienced this in your spiritual resolutions too. Maybe you have said last year, you know what, I'm going to read through the Bible. And you were cooking, and then you got to Leviticus, and you barely made it through Leviticus, and then Numbers welcomed you. (laughs) You didn't make it through Numbers. Or maybe you did, and then Deuteronomy welcomed you, and you were sunk. Or maybe you want to spend time in prayer. And those first two weeks, you know, when you didn't have school, you had time to pray. And then school comes, and you're up early, and the homework comes, and the friends, and you only get done with your work at 8 or 9, and it's just time to go to bed, and your, your prayer life drops off because you get busy. Or maybe you attempt to stop that sin for a few days or weeks, and you're given alone time again, and you fall back into it. right? And then you quit fighting it due to discouragement. You stopped it for a time. And you fall back in. Or maybe you're working on a character quality. And you just don't see enough growth. And you become frustrated. And it slows down. And then your resolution that you made is part of the 94% which fail. Today, though, we're going to look at what God says is the key to making lasting change. We're not going to focus so much today on the what you must do. We'll get that at the very end. But the how you must do it. Okay? It's not willpower. It's not I'm just going to muster up enough strength, although you are going to need effort. It's not accountability. It's not I've got to surround myself with all these people that know my life and are going to push me forward and, and make me live righteously. No, that won't work, although accountability can be helpful and is a good thing. It's not never missing a single day of Bible reading, although I suggest you do that. Every day you can read the Bible is a good thing, but that's not the key alone to making lasting change. The key to making lasting change is this. If you want to see change this next year, you must anticipate Christ's return. If you want to see lasting change in 2024, you must anticipate Christ's return. If you want to form these godly habits, you must think often about the return of Christ. If you want to kill that sin once and for all, you must remember the day of judgment. If you want to persevere through times of discouragement, you must remember that your future is in heaven. If you want to be freed from the empty entertainment of this world, you must be looking forward to the day when you will see Jesus, your Lord and Savior, face to face. You will see from this passage that true growth and lasting growth is possible for every believer. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to see what the Lord says about this in 2 Peter 
chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read most of the first half of the chapter. Start in 2 Peter 3, verse 3. It's talking about the end times, when Christ returns in later days on this earth. In 2 Peter 3, verse 3, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming, the return of Christ? For since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was since the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, It escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being deluged with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be found out. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The the first step... Point number one is you must see the world's future reality. Point number one, the world's future reality. This is the starting point. You must see your future clearly. And I think there's three things we get from this text, right? We're going to see fire, we're going to see fear, and we're going to see fulfillment. So we'll start with letter A, fire. It's the destruction of the earth. Look here at verse 10. Verse 10 it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements, the the very substance of the earth, will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be found out. Right? It's destroyed. Verse, Verse 12, it says, The heavens burning will be destroyed, and the elements again will melt with intense heat. Back in verse 7, it says, The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment. This world is going to be destroyed by fire one day. This is what Pastor John has been talking about in past weeks in Revelation, right? He's been going through all these different passages, starting in chapter 4. And I'm not going to give you an exact ecclesiology of what happens, uh, or eschatology of what happens, but I want you to just listen to what the Lord does. You can pop along if you want, Revelation 8. It's what the Lord does at the end of the earth. Revelation 8, 7 through 11, and the first sounded. These are the seven trumpets. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. 
And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. No more green grass. And the second angel sounded, and something great, like a great mountain burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea, those which had life, died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Right? That's just a picture of what the Lord can do. In, in, verse, or in chapter 16, 17 through 21, listen to this. The earth is destroyed by hailstones. It says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a loud voice came out of the sanctuary from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty, and the great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of his wrath, of his rage. And every island, islands, fled away, from the, fled away and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about one talent each, came down from heaven upon men, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. And the great city of Babylon is destroyed. In 18, verse 10, it says, Standing at a distance because of the fear of her torment, saying, Woe, woe, the great city Babylon, the strong city, for in one hour your judgment has come. In verse 8, it said, It is burned up with fire. I don't know exactly what it's going to be like at the end but we know it's promised that it's going to be consumed with fire. It's all going to melt away. That is coming. Not like the first time the earth was destroyed. When was the first time it was destroyed? With water. Back at the flood, right? If you see here in verse 6, it says, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being deluged with water. Right? But the present heavens are being reserved for fire. First time it was water, the second time... It's with fire. So the first thing you must see is the future of this world is fire. Letter B. The future of this world also has fear because the judgment of Christ is coming. In addition to destroying the earth, Christ also brings judgment. The day of the Lord means Christ is coming back. It's going to judge the living and the dead. Uh, in verse 7 it says, Fire comes for judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But it then says the destruction of the ungodly men. That's the ungodly man is judged. At the end of verse 10, it says, and the earth and its works will be found out. You're going to have to stand before God and give an account for your life. For the believer, this isn't a time of fear, but it's one of Christ died for my sins. But for the unbeliever, he will have nothing to say. The day is coming and it is not yet here, but that day is coming. But it isn't here yet. Notice verse 9. 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some consider slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. The day when Christ judges all is coming, but that day is not here yet, because there are still more believers, or still more elect, that haven't come to Christ yet. But if they're going to come to Christ, he hasn't returned because there's still people that need to trust in Christ. And you can know this, and you can see, you look around at the beauty of the earth, and you see it's not burned up with fire yet. 
you can know that there are still more people that God is going to save. When you look around and you enjoy all the good things, you see the other people in the community of friends you have, you can know God has more to save. He's not done. He hasn't come in judgment because he's still saving more. He's not willing for any of the elect to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And it should be a, a simple application is you don't give up evangelizing to your family and friends. Until you see fire and the return of Christ and the whole world burning up, there are still some out there that are going to come to faith in Christ. And your job is to take that good news to them. Judgment can still be avoided. This is the good news you have. Don't give up on your family and friends who you've seen this holiday season that don't know Christ. Continue to witness to them. Continue to evangelize. As you go back to school, let them know of the good news of Christ. So they don't have to stand in fear of the judgment of Christ, but they can look forward to it knowing that Christ has paid for their sins. Letter C, fulfillment. Fire, fear, and fulfillment. The fulfillment is this, that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We know that the heavens are going to be destroyed, but what comes after this? Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens burning will be destroyed and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And in the original, it's a clear contrast. It goes, the elements will melt with intense heat, but a new heavens and a new earth. That first phrase actually comes later. It's going to melt, but then a new heaven and a new earth. What are we looking for? We're looking forward to that. It's fire and destruction happens to the first, and, and life and righteousness is in the second. And it's a fulfillment because this has been promised since the Old Testament. In Isaiah 65, 17, it says, For behold, I am creating a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart. You look back in, in 2 Peter 3, verse 8, it says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. In our mind, it's taken a long time for him to come back. But in the, time, in the eyes of God, who's outside of time, this is, this is quick. It's coming soon. Extremely soon. Something totally new. Different altogether. And it's different, most centrally, because of this new fact. Look at verse 13. According to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This current earth is full of sin. Sin of unbelievers, sin remaining in believers, the powers of government, you see wars, you see devastation of, of flooding, of earthquakes, of violence. You know the pain of other people's sin against you. You know the guilt of your own sin. And you long for a world in which sin is gone. And what the new heaven and the new earth bring is that it's a world where righteousness dwells and there's no room for sin. It, the new heaven and earth are pure and good. And if you want to live godly this next year, and the, and the resolutions and the goals you make, if you want to succeed in achieving them, you must be thinking about and looking forward to this day when there's a new heaven and a new earth. A day when, when there will be no more death. No more death. No more dying. A day when there will be no more unkind words said. A day with no more friendship drama. 
a day when you're free from the penalty, power, and the presence of sin. Right? No more struggle with the flesh. No more struggle with the flesh that, that wants to do uh, the works of the flesh in your members, but you're free to worship the Lord perfectly. A day when you can worship God perfectly. A day when you can perfectly desire to do what is right. No longer a tension for the believer of, 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 of wanting to do what is right, but still having the flesh not want to do what is right, but do what is ungodly. Most profoundly a joy when you'll see your Savior face to face and become like him because you see him as he is. This is the day you're looking forward to. This is the future of the world. This is the hope of the believer. Maybe the most powerful thing is that it's not only the power of sin, where it's no more a struggle, no more the guilt of sin which Jesus has taken away, but it's the very presence of sin. And for the discouraged believer here that's struggling, maybe has fallen into sin over break, you don't get out of sin by trying harder. You get out of sin by fixing your eyes on the world that is to come and then making every effort to cut out your sin. This will be a great day when God fulfills his promise. And this is the key, really, to the whole chapter. He's going to go on here in verse 14, and he says, Therefore, beloved. And he's going to start giving instructions. He gives four commands uh, and a bunch of different ways practically to live godly, that you're commanded to live godly. But he doesn't do this before you get a glimpse of the future. He does it after. The key to this passage is looking at Christ and his return and that future day and the new heaven and the new earth. As you have a glimpse of the future, you now go to point number two, the believer's present responsibility. Because you know Christ is coming back soon and you know the new heavens and earth are coming and that is your future, you are responsible to live for him now. And you have the motivation, now you apply the application And there's three ways we can do this. I think he gives us three ways in verses 14 through 18. The first way, letter A, is to be diligent in holiness. This is verse 14. It says, Therefore, beloved, since you are looking for these things, what things? The coming of Christ. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless, and blameless. Be diligent. This means to make every effort, to take pains. Right? As an athlete would, he'll push his body to where he's feeling physical pain so that he can get better and stronger. Even as a musician would, if your fingers are tired of playing an instrument or your voice is tired of singing because you want to grow, you're pushing your body to the limits. You're making every effort, you're taking pains to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, right? In peace, likely meaning in peace with him, but also with other believers, right? Having salvation and being at peace with other believers. And it says spotless and blameless, right? Spotless. You can see spots of an animal, right? If there's a a, a checkered shirt or a spotted shirt, right? You can see that. It's external. An outward purity, Like a lamb who is spotless, like Christ who is spotless, Peter commands us to be spotless. There should be an outward purity 
that describes our lives, and also blameless. Blameless is no, not so much an outward appearance, not like the Pharisees who were just trying to outwardly be good, but also inwardly, an inner purity, right? where there is no, uh, no blame that can be put on this man. This man's above reproach. There's true transformation of heart. So it's an outward and an inward kind of purity. Not, not just that you're trying to be a better than my friends, right? Trying to be one of the more godly ones at youth group. Or not trying to be the kind of person at school that people just know I, I'm different. What does that mean to be different? I'm at school. I'm different. Maybe you're just weird, okay? But you're, you're different. No, you want to be known as someone that's godly, that loves Christ, that inwardly and outwardly is not going to be for the things of the devil, that, that outwardly isn't going to participate in certain works, but also inwardly isn't going to laugh at those jokes and participate in those conversations. But a life that is blameless and pure, a high aspiration, right? Peter doesn't set the bar low. He sets the bar high. You need to be blameless and spotless. Be diligent to get there. Why? Because Christ is coming back. Also look in verse 14. It says, be diligent to be found by him. He's coming back for the believer and the unbeliever. For the believer, it's, it's not that you're worried about eternal judgment, but it is that you must give an account for your life to the Lord. And you know he's coming back, and you want to be spotless and blameless before him. Jonathan Edwards, he gives a famous, he gives a bunch of resolutions. Uh, he was 19 years old when he gave this one. This is how he attempted to live his life. He says, resolved, I will act so as I think I shall judge what have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. And what he's basically saying is I'm going to do my best to live the wisest way I can, expecting that I'm about to enter into the next world, expecting that Christ is about to return and I'm about to go to heaven to give an account for my life. I'm going to live the most wisely and prudently that I can. And there you see, you're commanded to be diligent in holiness. Letter B, second one, is be discerning in doctrine. And this is 15 through 17. Right? Verses 15 through 17. It says this, And consider the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them, of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, lest you, having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall from your own steadfastness." So he's dealing with the false teachers here. There are people who are distorting and twisting the truth. They take the truth of the word and the coming of Christ and, and they change it knowingly and intentionally. He says, don't fall prey to these teachers. It's very practical. It's exactly where heaven and earth collide. And remember at the start of the sermon where I said, today I'm not going to tell you that you must read your Bible and tell you how to keep your resolution, which is looking forward to heaven. Here, Peter does this exact same thing, and he goes on, and then he says, you must know your doctrine, and you must know the scriptures. And he commands you, you must know your Bible. 
Look here, it says, Therefore, knowing this, be on your guard, lest having been carried away by the error of unprincipled men, fall away from your own steadfastness. Those who are twisting the Scriptures. If you don't want to be, be led astray by false doctrine and false belief and false teaching, you must know your Bible. You must read your Bible. Because you must know what's in your Bible, and you must know what's not in your Bible. You've probably heard this illustration before, but counterfeit money, right? You, you get a $20 bill. Is it real or is it fake? If someone has to identify if this is real or fake, like the professional in it, how do they train? What do they study? Fake money or do they study real money? They study real money. Because as you know what is true, it's easy to identify what is false. You're not studying all these other doctrines of what, what these heresies and other things that might be out there, these, these lies and the schemes of the world, all, all these things. No, they study the Word. And they know the Word inside and out. And when they see something false come along, they can identify that because they know it disagrees with what is found in the Scriptures. You must know what's in the Bible and you must know what is not. You must listen to good teachers, listen to sermons and podcasts. Whatever you can to take in the word, you must do it. Because in verse 17, you notice the command here is it says, be on your guard. To be on guard doesn't take reaction, it takes preparation. You need to take prior preparation. You've you got to know what's in the Bible before it's time to take a stand, to accept or reject these things, right? A lot of you are headed off to college. Some of you are going to go to Christian universities. Some of you are going to go to secular universities. For the secular universities, it's easy. A lot of it is untrue. So many things are framed by a worldview that is not Christ's. For the Christian university, maybe you're headed to, to TMU. Most of what you hear there is going to be good worldview. But not all people at the Master's University are actual believers and have right doctrine. There is a right doctrine. It's what's found in the Scriptures. And as Christians, you do your best to hold to it. But there are some in the church and in believing circles who either accidentally are teaching something that's not quite true or intentionally are trying to lead others astray. And you have to know your Bible well enough so that you can discern what is what. You must be discerning. And the only way to be discerning is if you know your Bible. You must know your Bible So take Peter's instruction and be on guard. Let her see. Be devoted to growth. Verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Here you see the final imperative of the passage, the final command. And it says this, grow. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Right? There's negative commands in Scripture which says, don't do this, right? Thou shalt not commit murder. Don't kill someone else. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not provide false witness. But here's a positive command. It's not saying something you must not do, but here's something you must do. You must grow. To fail to grow, to not grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is a sin. He's saying you must grow. God demands that we grow in Christ. It's not optional. Because you're looking for a new heaven and earth, you must be growing. Bible reading, per se, 
is not optional because you have to know him better. Prayer with the Father is not optional because you need to commune with him more. Gathering with the church, the grace of Christ, is not optional. It's a must for the believer. And putting to death your sin is not optional. It is a must for the believer. How do you do this practically, though? I don't think you, you take it beyond what he said here, right? You put your eyes forward to the day he comes back. You must know what the Bible says about his coming. You want to look forward to that day? How do you do this? You must know the scriptures. You've got to read them. You've got to know them. You've got to memorize them. If you want to do something simple this new year, memorize these three verses. Okay, I'm going to give you three verses. Read them or listen to them. Write them down and memorize them. Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Matthew 6, 19 through 20. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, get your eyes off this world and look forward to heaven. You want to live effectively now? Put your eyes forward. Don't look down. Look up and look forward. In Philippians 3, this is the next one. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, by his working through which he is able even to subject all things to himself. Here it talks about citizenship. Yes, you're, you're an American if you were born here. But more than that, or more than your family history, of who you are, your last name, you are a citizen of heaven. If you're a believer of, in Christ, you are a citizen in heaven, and that is what must shape your life For the Lord is coming back and he's going to transform your body into the conformity with the body of his glory. It's a good hope. The last one, 1 Corinthians 2.9. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. You're not looking so much for monetary or physical blessings here on earth. What you're looking for and living for is a future in heaven where God has prepared good things for you. If you can look look at this and know this and memorize this, it will guide your next year. And I want to close here just by reading to you some from Revelation. If you're a believer, this should bring you great hope. If you're an unbeliever, you're never going to participate in this unless you turn to Christ. But stop and listen. In Revelation 21, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write for these words, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, They are done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and sexually immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And one of the seven angels who have the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Now the new Jerusalem, the holy city says, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like precious stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. It had a great and high wall. It had 12 gates, and at those 12 gates, 12 angels, and names have been written on those gates, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the Son of Israel. There are three own gates on the east, and three gates on the north, and three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city and its gates and its walls. And it gives some measurements down to verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates were a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no sanctuary in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its sanctuary. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. And its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations will walk by its light, And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be closed by day, for there will be no night there. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, and nothing defiled, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If you're a believer, that's your future be with the people of God forever, to be the very presence of God where his light illumines everything. No need for sun, no need for moon, for you have God himself. If you want motivation to live godly, whatever your resolutions are this year, you should read your Bible, you should spend time in prayer, you should gather with other believers, you should witness whatever it is, the way you'll do that effectively And the way you'll be the ones who succeed in their New Year's resolutions is by looking forward to that day. pray we'd all do that together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and everything it teaches us. Thank you for the hope we have in the future, that you are coming back. That you're coming back to make all things right. That you're coming back to judge the living and the dead. That you're coming back to redeem a people for yourself. Coming back to take us home to be with you. Lord, you say you've gone away to prepare a place for us. Lord, we, we are expecting and we're looking forward to the day when you come. 
We ask that you would come quickly, that you would save those who you need to save and come and rescue your people. Father, I pray that this next year would be a year of growth, a year of true growth, of lasting change and fruitfulness for you and your kingdom. Thank you for all these students. Pray you'd bless them tonight. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.